Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Joining me today for this Loveland Cookbook Group edition of the Loveland Libcast, I have, as always, my favorite co-host, <laughs> Ashley Reger, recipe developer and freelance writer for Westward. Ashley, welcome back, as always, to the podcast. Hello. And we have a very special guest, Chef Susan Reed, entrepreneur, author, teacher, and imperfect influencer, and so much more. Susan, thank you for joining the podcast with us. It is a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. This is very exciting. We are going to be talking about our November cookbook, which is The Book on Pie by Erin Jean McDowell. We are going to have recipe kits for brown sugar chess pie, and that will include dark brown sugar, fine yellow cornmeal, and fine sea salt. So those, of course, will be available the second Thursday of November. You all can come in and grab those while supplies last. Let's go ahead and start with a little bit more about you, Susan. I wanted to start with asking where you're based out of and what is your background exactly as a chef, baker, author, and teacher? I live in a town called Heartland, Vermont. It is right on the Connecticut River. It's a beautiful spot. I, my house is in the middle of 10 acres with a view of Mount Escutney. I am a classic liberal arts major. I have my bachelor's in English literature ran away from home like every good English major does, landed in <laughs> Chicago, and I backed into a job writing television commercials. So the wow. first television commercial that I ever produced was for McDonald's Banana Shakes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I shot several television commercials with the original Lonely Maytag repairman, Jesse White. I've been on the back lot at Universal shooting Kellogg's commercials with tourists taking my picture, <laughs> many things like that. So the money was great, but I had a really hard time with the gradual corrosion of the creative process. So I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, and I graduated first in my class, and I stayed there and did an internship at the American Bounty Restaurant, wrote my first cookbook, worked in high-end restaurants in New England. And then I decided I wanted to write some more. So I thought mistakenly that if I was teaching at a culinary school that I could have more time to write, that didn't <laughs> be the case. So I ended up getting a job at the New England Culinary Institute where I taught for 10 years. And then still wanting to write more, I thought, all right, who does words in food in Vermont? And I was on the mailing list for the King Arthur Flower catalog. And I thought, these guys do words in food. So I sent them an email and I said, got any use for a chef who can write? And 20 minutes later, they're like, when can you come down? <laughs> oh, <wow>. That's awesome. Because <laughs> I had no idea that they had just signed the contracts for the Baker's Companion Cookbook, which became oh, okay. a cookbook of the year for the James Beard Award. And I was hired to test the recipes for that book. And that's how I got in the door. And I was at King Arthur for 20 years. And I just recently left King Arthur because there's several things that I want to do that they weren't going to pay me for. So I have to, <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I 
had to leave and, and do them on my own. Yeah. But it would, we'll say that the pandemic actually afforded me a great opportunity because our business was exponentially increasing. And the social media team that I was working with answering their questions, like if someone asked them a question, they got stumped. I used to teach cooking theory and food science. So I'm sort of Bill Nye, the science guy for baking. <laughs> so I would be their answer man. And I got to be really tight with those guys. And I started posting stories on Instagram in 2019. And the head of the team said, no, 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 no. I want you to do that on our account. So that's how Chef Susan and VT started. And I've been posting twice a week, pretty much without fail since 2019. And they're always great recipes that you're posting. I've followed you for a couple of years now, and I always come away with new ideas or recipes that I want to try. And you just have a very good sense of really interesting and unique recipes that still feel traditional and trustworthy. I really have a hard time with the breathlessness of the coastal food media that you couldn't possibly know how to cook for yourself unless we told you this secret mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> and I find that viscerally annoying. <laughs> um, so as a teacher, right, I want to give people a skill. And you ever teach a little kid how to do something and just like watch them get bigger? It's just the most satisfying sensation in the world, right? Teach someone how to cut an onion who like thinks that that's the seventh circle of hell. You've really <laughs> improved their life forever. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. I love that outlook. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience working with King Arthur and what it was like specifically to work on our cookbooks? But I know you probably also worked on many other facets. Of I, test yeah, I did a lot of different things there as far as, I mean, I got in starting to test. It's like any new job, right? The first three months, nobody knows what you can do. And then when they start figuring out what you can do, all of a sudden that becomes your job. So I ended up taking over from PJ Hamwell this little newsletter publication that we had called The Baking Sheet. And I wrote and edited The Baking Sheet for 15 years until they sunsetted that in order to pivot and do Sift Magazine. But the cookbook, that's something that is in addition to everything else that's your job. You don't get taken off what you're doing every day to go do the cookbook. You do all of that stuff and. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for The Baker's Companion, I was the person that was responsible for managing all the illustrations in that book, because at the time that that book came out, illustration was much cheaper than photography. So every picture that's in that book, those were my hands that I would send to the illustrator. And I would say, make the fingers less fat, you know, <laughs> give me a better manicure. <laughs> so those are kind of my hands in all of that. And there were certain things because of my training and my experience like PJ wasn't really comfortable doing the pastry chapter, but having just come out of culinary school is like, for me, no problem. So she sort of handed off some of that stuff to me. And that's how I got involved in the writing part of it. So that happened on the Baker's Companion. And as with almost any publishing thing that you do, if you have a book that does well, the publisher's next question is, what's the next one? What's the next one? So after Baker's Companion... Then we did the Cookie Companion, which I wrote, I think, three or four chapters on that and some of the front and back matter and stuff. Like the weight chart that's in the Baker's Companion, that's something that I started. And that, in turn, has become something that's now a living, breathing document online that a lot of people rely on. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. I would use that chart 
very regularly when I was working as a research chef for a local breakfast company here. Yeah, I would pull that up every day and I would send it to my chef friends and like, hey, this is a great resource for you to have. (laughs) You had mentioned the illustrations and the photography. I was looking at the Well-Plated Life, which is your, do you consider it a a blog really or? It's a poor neglected blog now that (laughs) I'm in the middle of a big house renovation. And that is the thing that sort of took me away from that. And the time I give to Instagram, unfortunately, is taking away from the time that I give to the blog. But it that will get relaunched and revamped. I really wanted to be able to host video because I have this series on Instagram called The Capable Kitchen where I'm demonstrating you know, knife skills and a lot of that kind of stuff. So I would like to upgrade that. But my style of photography is very much based in natural light and the type of thing that you would like to dig into. I want the food to be the star. I want the food to be something that makes you want to eat it. Every photo is a farmhouse on a weekend morning and someone has just baked this wonderful thing for you. That's the the feeling that yeah. is evoked from, from well, that. That is actually really nice to hear. I don't think I ever articulated <laughs> it in quite that way, but that all of that is actually going on in my head. So pretty cool. You do a great job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... We are talking about uh, Erin Jean McDowell's book this month. So you have worked with her a little bit. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about in what platforms you've worked with her? Well, she did a pie feature for us in one of the issues of SIFT, and she did a bunch of food styling. The first thing we worked together on, I came up with a series of cakes that were based on cocktails. So that was the first time we worked with her. And she also did some work um, food styling our catalog for a little bit. She's great to work with, and she's obviously very, very talented. And she's one of those people as a contributor. I really liked it as the food editor because I knew that anything that she gave me was just going to work. That is a great luxury in publishing. You are a pie wizard yourself, and (laughs) I wanted to ask you if you had both uh, any advice for beginner pie makers, people who may who may want to start trying it, or tips for people who who do bake pies and in anything that you might suggest to them that could be a game changer. <laughs> the company used to send me out on the road to do demonstrations in hotel ballrooms in front of hundreds of people at a time. And it was always during the season for pie and pie was one of the things that I demonstrated. When you're nervous about something, you have a tendency to like overwork it. So when we teach pie often in, in the classroom at King Arthur, we will walk around behind people. And like, especially when you're cutting the butter into the flour, there are certain places along the way in the process of making a pie crust where you're at a fork in the road. And if you go in one direction, you're fine. If you take the other turn, the cascading spiral of negative consequences (laughs) can be difficult to pull back from. Mm -hmm. So the texture of your pie dough has a lot to do with the size of your fat. The bigger the chunks of the fat, the more flakes you're going to get, but the more difficult it is to work with. So that's one of those choices that you make when you're a beginner. The other thing is the level of hydration for a pie. You go to roll out a pie crust and it cracks like the Gobi Desert. You do not have enough liquid in your pie dough. So that whole thing where it cracks and then you take a chunk and you try to put it back on top and you press it down and then it flakes off the minute you try to move it and all that kind of stuff. Trying to get the right amount of water in is difficult because you have to sort of go gradually. So when I'm hydrating the pie dough, I put ice water in a squeeze bottle. 
this whole thing about ice water, people get all freaked out about temperature and all that stuff. Ice water is great. It keeps the butter firm. The reason you want the butter to stay firm is so that the water that is suspended in the butter doesn't leak out, mix with the flour and make your pie dough tough and greasy. But people hang on to recipes like they're a zip line over the Grand Canyon. One finger off and it's all done, <laughs> right? It's not that way. So the ice water in a squeeze bottle is really helpful because what I do is put the water into the pie dough. I stir it. I take out the stuff that's starting to gather together and I put it over here on a piece of parchment. That way the dry stuff in the bowl gets a little squirt and I'm not making it too wet because what you can do is sort of go back and forth over the right level of hydration several times, making it worse every time. Mm-hmm. It's too wet. You add flour, you're overworking it. Now it's tough. It's too dry. Oh crap. Now what do I do? The other hint for people is when they're trying to get a feel for making this pie dough come together is to have water in a spray bottle. So I have all these clumps of pie dough sitting on a piece of parchment that looks like a raggedy mess. I use the parchment to fold it over on each other to build layers. And if it's still dry and dusty looking, out comes the spray bottle. That is so genius. I love the tip to take out parts of the pie dough as it's hydrated because that's where I always run into problems. Yeah. I will be honest. I hate making pie crust because I feel like I always don't know how to get the correct level of hydration, but I'm going to try that next time. There's a whole class on all butter pie dough on my Instagram. And there's also a reel that's on my feed right now that just has the whole thing in a minute. Those are great tips. I love that. So apart from pies, you bake such a wide variety of goods, but something that strikes me is that it always seems like you're very intentionally baking seasonally and locally. I know you are on the East Coast, but Mm -hmm. do you have any tips for people who want to incorporate that kind of cooking into their life, especially cooking from local producers? I have to say I'm very fortunate to live where I live because there's a lot of like I buy half a pig every year from someone that's less than a mile away. I am mm-hmm. soon going to get the lamb that I bought from the guy that's up the hill. That kind of thing is great. I'm very lucky to be able to do that. But wherever you are, people are making good food. It's just a question of looking somewhere where you might not have. I think that farmers markets in general are, you can find them almost anywhere in the country now, which mm-hmm. is good. There's actually a really good book by Judith and Evan Jones. Judith Jones was the editor for Julia Child. It's called I Hear America Cooking. And it's just a tour of the American food landscape. Granted, this book is 30 or 40 years old, but it's right up my alley as far as wherever you are, there is good food that you can find there and not too many other places. So I don't know if other people do this, but I certainly do this. Like, I love going to grocery stores in places that are different. For me, if I go to a grocery store in Tennessee, I'm going to find things that I don't see there anywhere else, right? And I'll go, that's cool. I want to play with that. Like sorghum syrup is all over the South, and it makes wonderful things that you wouldn't know about otherwise. You don't have to be where I am to do that thing that I'm doing, which is look around where you are and see who the little producers are. I think that the atmosphere in America for the food scene is starting to mature in a way that I find very encouraging to have an attitude that's a little bit more like what happens in Europe. Like I have one of the weeds that grows in my yard is sorrel, which is a 
you know, it's a weed, but it tastes great. Foraging is having a huge moment too, especially looking around not only your community for producers, but looking around your environment for things that are already there. I have a lot of foraging influencers that pop up across my various social media feeds. Yeah. When I was running a restaurant in Maine, the pot room had this view of the ocean and my sous chef, he goes, I look out there and I think there's a million things in there that I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a total chef. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of that about your background and, and some of those tips and your experiences. We will go ahead and pivot to talking about the book on pie. Ashley, why did we choose this particular cookbook for this month? Well, I think the answer is fairly obvious. The holidays are starting to come up. Thanksgiving is happening soon and all the various holidays that happen throughout the fall and winter. For me, all of those holidays require pie. So this is the book on pie. It also is literally the book on pie. It is so comprehensive. I actually just pulled our featured recipe, the brown sugar chest pie out of my oven about 10 minutes before we started recording. And it was such a joy to make. <laughs> Susan, you were talking earlier about empowering people to make the recipes for themselves and understand what's happening. And I think Erin Jean McDowell is such a good advocate for this because as you're going through the book, she's offering you multiple methods on how to mix pie, multiple methods on how to achieve a tender dough or achieve a flaky dough. And almost all of the recipes are made up of component parts. So she's offering these really, really fun suggestions like rosé peach pie but she also has things like a cereal treat crust and then you use that crust and you make a peanut butter version of the crust that she tells you how to make and then you make the chocolate filling from another pie recipe and then you make the marshmallow topping that she's provided and then you have a whole new really delicious treat to serve from component parts that she has offered to you so that is why I find this book so exciting and why we chose it this month. Susan, you were showing me that you have the book on pie. Were there any recipes that stand out to you or just any pies in general for the holiday season that you like to make or that you might be trying? Well, this is about the time where I start telling people that you should be making your pumpkin pie filling like right now and sticking it in the freezer because it freezes beautifully. It's like any kind of stew, anything with a lot of spices in it, the more time that it sits, the better it's gonna be. So pumpkin pie is always a must. I was always making pumpkin pies growing up in my house. And then we went through a project at King Arthur to make like the, we call them guaranteed recipes at the time. And mm -hmm. I thought I had the best pumpkin pie recipe, but I went and sort of experimented with it, a bunch of other ones and I actually came up with something that I like better than what I grew up with, which was pretty cool. Wow. So, what was the change? It uses evaporated milk instead of just regular sweet milk. Cause so that concentration mm. gives you a little bit better and I'm grinding fresh pepper into it. So. Ooh, fun. How do you freeze the filling? I make the whole thing up and I put it in quart containers or whatever with some mm -hmm. headspace. I freeze it, take it out day before, two days before, and then just whisk it and, Pour and go. You would never know, other than the fact that it tastes better. 
Pie dough too. I mean, if I'm going to make pie dough in advance, I usually will put like a little cider vinegar in my ice water when I'm making it just so that it doesn't oxidize. And I try, if I'm going to freeze pie dough, I try to make it a little bit on the drier side because all that time going through freeze thaw, the dough will come out wetter than you expect. If you're listening to this episode, when it comes out, it's time to make your pumpkin pie filling. You can also make the dough. <laughs> Reese is your friend. <laughs> and also don't forget that the recipe kits for those brown sugar chest pies with cornmeal pie crust are going to come out on the second Thursday at the Loveland Public Library. And those will include dark brown sugar, fine yellow cornmeal, and sea salt to help you get started on that. I also wanted to ask you both, Susan and Ashley, if you have any recommendations for other cookbooks, food writers, social media personalities who focus on pies that you'd like to direct listeners to. Before the book on pie, Kate McDermott wrote Art of the Pie, which is very similar as far as being quite comprehensive. And Kate has taught pie making forever and ever. And my other one is from a woman named Anne Haney Collins. She's from the South. This is sort of like half pie history and half not. It's called Vintage Pies. And it sort of harks back to the time when pie was like only an inch thick. There's a recipe here where they stack like five pies right on top of each other. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's very cool. On my end, I think my favorite pie media that I really, really love, there is an Instagram creator called Loco Kitchen. That's L-O-K-O Kitchen. And she has really, really incredibly detailed and beautiful pies. They're very much created to be works of art. It's just really cool to see all of the different stuff that she does with pies. And it's inspiring because a lot of it is actually quite easy. It's just maybe you don't have the idea for it. And then on the other side of things, I really am liking some of our local pie companies here. So we have Hinman Pie, which is a really, really delicious business here in Denver that creates pies as well as Mile High Pie Company. And they both do holiday pies. So if you're not into baking pies, you can get some local ones that are really, really delicious to serve. All right. Thank you. I also have something else. Oh, yeah. That I'm really excited about. So I was all ready to talk about another favorite recipe developer that I have, uh, Stella Parks. So she is... Yay, she's on my short list. Yeah, she's so cool. I think if you ask anyone who's like really geeky about food, they know who Stella Parks is. She contributes a lot to Serious Eats. That's where you'll see her work a lot. She's the author of our next month's book, Brave Tart. My friend's birthday was last weekend, so I made a conglomeration of her recipes to create a birthday cake for my friend. And so I toasted sugar in the oven for like six hours. So it's caramelized, but it's still granulated and dry. And that was really cool. And then I used that to make a cake with brown butter. And then I frosted that cake with a recipe of hers that is an Italian meringue buttercream, but it's completely sweetened with maple syrup that you've boiled down. And then I also caramelized white chocolate and I put that on the cake like it was such an intense cake and it was all Stella Parks and it all worked so well so if anyone has non-pie things that they're baking this month 
highly, highly recommend to see if Stella Parks has a recipe for it first because she is just a phenomenal, phenomenal recipe developer. Stella has one of my absolute favorite things for blind baking where she lines the dough with parchment or foil and then fills it with sugar. Totally. I've been doing that ever since I read that from her, because what happens is the sugar basically slowly caramelizes. And then like I have a bucket of pie sugar right there. And you can, if you need to hold the dough in place as you bake it, the sugar can get pushed up against the sides so that it keeps everything exactly where you want it to be. And you get like really tasty sugar for your coffee. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Take that toasted sugar, buzz it in the... Cuisinart, and then use that for meringues or for anything else. It's pretty genius. She's uh, definitely one of my faves. That toasted sugar as a pie weight is such a revolutionary thing. It's just such a cool and very accessible way to get into baking. Like pie weights are expensive and you need a lot of them. Yeah. And then beans disintegrate. I mean, everybody's just got sugar in their house. Like anybody you want to know. Yeah. Do you see how exciting this is <laughs> for two like bakers who were like, this is so Yeah, funny. yeah. <laughs> the enthusiasm is contagious. Sugar. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm really excited about Stella Parks this month and next month. Yeah, well. yeah. That'll be fun. A little sneak peek of, uh, of next month. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Susan, I wanted to ask you too. Where would you like to direct listeners to if they want to see what you're up to or, or learn more tips from you? The thing that I am spending the most time and energy on is my Instagram feed. And that is Chef Susan in VT, all one string. It's pretty robust. I have a lot of stuff that's on there. I have a capable kitchen series um, with knife skills development, stuff like that. Primarily, the feed is about baking One of the hallmarks of my feed is that I am capable of making a spectacular mess. (laughs) It seems to be very popular. (laughs) I was doing something with cocoa and I dropped my phone in the bowl of cocoa. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. And I thought I couldn't resist. I took a picture through the lens that was like coated in cocoa. That's why I'm an imperfect influencer. I post every Wednesday and Sunday, and I will either make a recipe that I developed for King Arthur, or I've been developing recipes for a book I want to do. So I am putting them out there. Usually the recipe will be at the end of the story after I've shown you how to make it. And I'll just put up original material where if you bag a screenshot of it, you've got the recipes. So, Well, thank you for that. And before we wrap up, We always like to end by getting some book recommendations. If there's something you're reading now or one or two things you've read this year or all time, whatever, it's up to you. Start with you again, Susan. Do you have one or two things that can be cooking, baking related or not? uh, Just what you like to read for fun, too. Well, like the whole history nerd thing, this is really local to Vermont. But if you would like to time travel and really get some interesting ideas about food, there is a woman whose name is Elsie Masterton, and she wrote a series of cookbooks. If you never got a chance to cook with your grandma, read Elsie Masterton's books. Also, another book by Anne Mendelssohn, and the name of the book is called Stand Facing the Stove. What Anne wrote is this entire history of the joy of cooking, starting with the original edition of 
The Joy of Cooking by Irma Rombauer. Now, Irma Rombauer is long gone, and now her grandson is sort of shepherding the franchise. But the story of how that book came to be and all the iterations afterwards is just fascinating. There's a really great podcast episode that includes some of the history of Joy of Cooking. And I think actually the grandson is on the podcast. It's an episode of The Sporkful, which is a food food podcast. And it's called The Art and Joy of Recipe Writing. Yeah. And that's a really, really nice um, podcast for those people who love to read cookbooks. What I am currently reading, I am in the middle of listening to the fifth book of the Wheel of Time series, All right. which is a fantasy series I've been listening to this entire year. It takes a long time for it to come up on my holds list, and then I listen to it nonstop. It's really picking up. I enjoyed the other books, but this book has been really phenomenal. On the food end of things, I am planning to dive into The Food Lab by Kenji Lopez-Alt. I've been a really long time fan of Kenji Lopez. I just really respect. He's very much in the vein of Stella Parks, of just being a really phenomenal thinker and writer and developer when it comes to food. And the Food Lab is a tome of food science and interesting cooking. I want to thank you, Chef Susan Reed, for joining us for this episode of the Loveland Libcast, Loveland Cookbook Group edition. It was so wonderful meeting you and hearing your stories and and your wisdom on how to be a better cook, how to be a better baker, how to make wonderful, delicious creations. So thank you very much for being on this episode. Very much my pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Ashley, as always, thank you so much for being my co-host for these. And I hope people look forward to checking out the book on pie and our episode next month as well that we teased. So thank you again for doing this with me. Yay, my pleasure. And that does it for another episode of the Loveland Libcast. Thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all later. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.